And good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our program. I'm Vic Batista and my co-host, Nathan Jones, and we have an exciting program lined up for you today as we're going to be talking about Bible prophecy and Islam, the global terror. So stay tuned for our program. But before we continue, I'm going to have Nathan Jones open us up with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word, Lord. Uh, it's a very important word because you open up what the end times are going to be and uh, some of the threats that the world faces today, such as Islam, what is the future? We find that out. So we thank you, Lord, for revealing that to us and giving us hope for tomorrow. We thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Again, a wonderful program prepared to you. Vic Batista, Nathan Jones, as we're going to be talking about Bible prophecy and Islam, the global terror. Uh, Nathan, it's exciting because in our last previous program, you and I began to uh, tackle the subject of Islam's role in the end times. And uh, we just looked at 9-11, of course, just about a week ago, and also uh, Islam's involvement there. And some have said that Islam will someday take over the world. But the Bible actually spells things out clearly. What will happen to Islam in the last days? And we're looking at the, we were looking at Psalm 83 ch uh, chapter and we were discussing uh, uh, this in details. And, and I wanted to pick it up there uh, uh, again in Psalm 83, just in case someone uh, was not tuned into the program and they can follow along with us. But, and I thought we can do a, re a little bit of a recap, Nathan, because 9-11 was, you would agree, a tragic uh, thing for our nation. Wow, it's really hard to believe, isn't it, that we're now 17 years past 9-11. I Probably every one of us in America remembers that day where we were. I know I was working at an ISP as a web developer at the time early in my career, and I remember getting to work, and wow. uh, all the my coworkers were standing by the TV watching, and I'm like, what's this? And all of a sudden, yeah. you know, the, you see fire and smoke coming out of the yeah. Twin Towers. And mm. I remember calling my wife and saying, hey, babe, America's under attack. Can you believe it? And how all day everybody was kind of glued to the monitor. And yeah. the shock is the two towers came crashing down and the plane hit the um, Pentagon and out in the mm -hmm. field in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's just indelibly etched into our minds. And how much, right. the, brother, think about it, how much the world has changed since 9-11. Yeah, Nathan, and that is true. I mean, it's amazing when you look back. I mean, we thank God for the way that we have recovered as a nation, if you will. But nevertheless, that was an event that is is solid in everyone's memory uh, who was alive uh, at that time. Wow, yeah. And it, it was proof positive, too, that Islam was serious about our war against us. These weren't some fringe jihadis or people on camels yelling out in the middle of the desert. This is a, no. an organized, Al-Qaeda is an organized terrorist group yes. reflecting the fundamental beliefs of Islam. In other words, if you're a fundamentalist Christian, you follow the Bible for what it says. If you're a fundamentalist Muslim, you follow the Quran for what right. it says. And so really the truest, real form of the Quran and belief in, in Islam is the people, uh, unfortunately, the terrorists. They, yeah. They're following the surahs which tell them to kill the infidel, and that's the in their religion, the only way they're guaranteed to go to paradise is if they die in battle against an infidel. Yeah. And so I think it made, made most people take Islam as a threat seriously. Yes. But, of course, then I think the opposite reaction, especially when President George W. Bush said Islam's a religion of peace, you know, he didn't want the world to break out in World War III as a you know, billion and a half Muslims are fighting everybody else. But at right. the same time, it created a false narrative that Islam 
as a religion of peace, and it created people apologizing for Islam all the time. Mm. And so I think a lot of people are very confused about yes. what Islam truly teaches. And, and Nathan, and that is a very good point. There is a lot of confusion. Uh, uh, in our previous programs, we talked about the radical aspects of Islam. We also talked about what the Quran says. And these are serious things that although we have some peaceful type of Muslims, but we still need to look at the core. What does this uh, religion teach? And true followers, in a sense, it, it holds them to this. It does. You're absolutely right. And one thing that a lot of people look at is, they, if you're especially a student of Bible prophecy, you try to figure out, well, how does Islam fit into Bible prophecy? Right. Where, does that, where does that go? And believe it or not, the Bible does give a series of end-time wars. There's nine altogether, but three of them, I believe, directly pertain to Islam. And as we fear a future where demographically it's proven yeah. that Islam's expansion by 2050 will conquer half the world, and by the year 2100, all of the world, then we got to wonder, what is the world going to do when Islam takes over, or will it? And I believe that the Bible teaches that no, Islam will not take over the world for a number right. of reasons. Excellent point. And that's why those of you that are be, uh, watching or listening uh, as being part of our program, we want you to follow with us as we were looking at the Word of God in Psalm 83. There are some events that we believe are still future. And these events can actually unravel even uh, starting in our time and into the, the near future. And this is why we trust what the Bible says, not what the news says, not what people say, but what does the Bible have to say? And that's what we're going to be looking at. So I want to encourage you to follow along with us and get the Bible and follow along with us as we continue to unravel uh, this incredible uh, um, passages in Psalm chapter 83. Nathan, in, in our programs, we looked at the opening there. You, you took us through the various wars. You did an amazing small video uh, re, uh, regarding Islam that individuals can find, right, Nathan? And it was a, a powerful small video just for a few minutes, but it really painted a good picture. Well, I, I did a full hour teaching series. People can find it on our website at lamblion.com or christinprophecy.org. And it's called The Fate of Islam. You can also find it on YouTube. It's The Fate of Islam, our television show, Christ and Prophecy. We covered uh, it in two different episodes. And I uh, broke the uh, Fate of Islam into smaller videos called The Inboxes. And three yeah. of them describe different aspects about so just check out the inbox on our on our YouTube channel, and you can see that there's some of them there as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's important teaching, and I'm trying to get the, the word out there about what the Bible has to say about the end times, and give us hope, man. I, I think if you have to agree that uh, we need hope in these That's really right. dark days. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we believe, Nathan, since we have the word of God, is something that we can trust and will always gives us confidence. So, yeah, Nathan, I was wondering if you might be able to read for us again Psalm uh, 83, maybe verses uh, 1 through 8. Uh, just as a quick recap, and then we can move from there uh, to the following verses, just in case someone wasn't uh, part of our previous programs. Okay. Well, we have nine end-time wars. The first one is called the Psalm 83 War, and that's why Vic and I are here reading Psalm 83, right. and we'll do <laughs> verses 1 through 8. It goes, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. 
for they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel, Amic and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria has also joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Mm. And Nathan, you pointed out to us that this is yet in the future, correct? Well, you got to look at the list. And I, I think if you're anybody who reads the Bible and you look at this list, you're like, what am I reading? Well, yes. <laughs> what you're reading are the names of the countries during when this was written, about 1000 B.C., when Asaph the seer, this isn't David writing the psalm, this is Asaph, who was a, a prophet who served in David's court, and he wrote a prophecy about a future war where Israel would have to call on God and conquer all the nations that surround it. And that's what we get when you hear Ents of Edom and Ishmaelites and Gebel and Ammon. These were all ancient people groups that comprised the nations that directly encircled Israel. Now, Israel in history, has never had to fight all these nations at the same time. Right. So it is believed, especially by uh, the most supportive of Bible prophecy ministries, such as us here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, and Bill Solace at Prophecy Depot Ministries, strongly believe that this is a prophecy that has yet to come true. Mm. And that's an excellent point, Nathan, because sometimes people only think about, like we talked about this before, all they hear about is the battle of Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon. But yet the Bible actually points out many other wars, if you will. Yeah, I think most people would be shocked to find out that Armageddon is not the, the only end-time war. Matter of fact, uh, when you read about Armageddon, Armageddon actually is the eighth of nine end-time wars. There's actually a, another end-time war that comes after Armageddon. So, no. Yeah. I, it, you know, movies right. like Armageddon and, you know, uh, comic books or even people say, you know, when there's a great battle, oh, it's Armageddon. Well, that's one end-time war, but there, there's seven other <laughs> end-time wars before we get to Armageddon. And the first one is the Psalm 83 war, the war where Israel subjugates the nations that surround it. We're talking about Syria and Jordan and Lebanon mm-hmm. and Gaza and Egypt and wow. possibly Saudi Arabia and Syria. And these are the nations that surround Israel. These are the nations that one Israel destroyed. These are the nations always in the news. These are the nations Zechariah the prophet prophesied that, yeah. that Israel would be constantly a stumbling block to the world because the world wants the land of Israel. And so this is the first, the end time wars. Israel will subdue the neighboring countries. Mm. And that's good news right there. So, yeah, Nathan, if you continue to take us through the following verses, I think it's just fantastic the way that this is unfolding and the background behind who those nations are in modern times today. All all people need to do, Nathan, is just maybe maybe go to Google Earth and zoom in on these nations and they can see exactly where they're located. Right, right. And, you know, more specifically, for instance, I can give it to you. The Tents of Edom are the Palestinian people today located in southern Jordan, which Jordan is the Palestinian state. There you go. The Ishmaelites are the Saudis. Uh, they're the descendants of Ishmael. The Moabites are, uh, that was central Jordan. The Hagrites, that's a, a reference to Egypt. Gebel is uh, a reference to Lebanon. Right. Ammon, also to Jordan. Amalek is the Arabs in the Sinai Peninsula area. Philistia is Hamas in Gaza, when we hear the Gaza Strip. Tyre, that's up in uh, southern Lebanon and could involve Hezbollah today. Right. And Assyria was the lands of Syria and northern Iraq. Mm. And uh, I don't know how much the Syrians are able to put up a fight, but Israel <laughs> right this day, just as a side note, has been attacking 
different positions in Syria to keep the Iranians out. So we're already starting to see these nations form a coalition against Israel. Mm, excellent point. And that's why, Nathan, as we continue to look at Psalm 83, we see the development uh, of the, the staging, if you will, of these events. And it also continues to unfold in other parts of the Bible that we're going to cover in the end time wars. Right, right. Well, I mean, pick it up with verse 9, if you'd like. Uh, yes. So Asaph prays to God. He says, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin in the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuge on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb. Yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, mm. who said, let us take for ourselves the pasture of God for a possession. So here Asaph is referring back to Israel's history, right. to leaders of the countries that surrounded them, who lived to try to steal the land of Israel away. God's promised possession to Israel. And any nation that tries to steal the land of Israel yeah. will be destroyed. It's prophesied, it's promised by God. And just like that, all these men died in their attempt to try to take Israel's land away from them. Yeah, and Nathan, anyone that just simply reads the Bible, I mean, it's very clear. Verse 12 there says, the pastor of uh, God uh, of God for our possession. In other words, uh, it's just amazing how people really want to read in whatever they want rather than what the Bible says. Yeah, it's true. And, and there has been the accusation, especially against Bill Salas, that he's reading into this. But uh, no, not at all. I mean, again, when has Israel ever destroyed the nations that uh, or at least overcome all the nations that surround it? Now, we don't know when Israel was reborn in 1948. Five of those nations attacked Israel and tried to destroy it. And right. a bunch of kibbutz farmers with pitchforks held back five <laughs> major armies. That, that's definitely God. But that wasn't a fulfillment of it because here uh, we've got Asaph listing all these nations. Right. And Israel has never defeated all these nations at once. And exactly. And that's why, Nathan, as we're walking through these verses, we want individuals to take note uh, and uh, notice exactly what is that the Bible has to say. Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, if you continue to take us through, that's fantastic. Well, let's finish up, uh, starting with verse 13. Oh, my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind, as the fire burns the woods, and as the flame sets the mountains on fire. Mm. So pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Mm. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Woo! Nathan, that is some very promising verses because we know oftentimes, <laughs> hey, God manifests himself even through modern technology. But here, Nathan, it talks about he's going to set the mountains on fire. Yeah, and you think about most modern warfare, well, uh, the mountains are set on fire. Yeah, I mean, the, it's interesting that there, there's a question here, and, you know, frighten them with your storm, pursue them with your tempest. Right. You know, is God going to be personally involved in this war? Uh, I'm a, certainly sovereignly, but is he going to actually step in? And I'd say that's really related to the war that will come after this, a war that, as we read about it, will then substantiate what we're reading here in Psalm 83. Mm. But yeah, uh, I believe that we've got two things going here. We've got the Israeli Defense Forces. That's right. One of the most powerful armies in the world. When you, It's amazing to think about, considering how small Israel is, that they've got one of the most 
powerful, effective armies in the world, and with God on their side, Israel can't be beaten. They will That's have right. victory over the nations that surround them. Nathan, and of course, we know that God has stepped in through time because the Bible talks about it. But Nathan, I mean, look at the miraculous war in 1967, the Six-Day War. I mean, you know God stepped in somehow. He sent in his mighty angels, right? <laughs> well, it's amazing when you think, uh, just listen to the reports that come back from Israeli soldiers, you know? Right. For like every, when like Operation Cat, for instance, where Israel went into Gaza, to stop all the rockets they were shooting into Israel. Yeah. You know, for every 10 Palestinian terrorists who were killed, only one Israeli would die. They, they talk about missiles that would suddenly divert funny or exactly. aircraft that were nudged out of the way of, of firefight. I mean, soldiers who were shot at and the, the bullets went through their clothes, but not them. And clearly, clearly, God is on the side of Israel. No nation in the world will ever be able to be de- uh, defeat Israel, because God is on their side. Yeah, and, and Nathan, and that's why we believe no matter what the news says, no matter how many nations come against Israel, Israel will always be the victor because God is on their side. And that's what the Bible declares. Absolutely. It's been prophesied and everything that's prophesied in the Bible will come true. You know, Nathan, that's why when we talk about these uh, these uh, these uh, end time wars, again, uh, maybe people were not familiar with this passage, but it just becomes more clear when we put this in the light of modern day, uh, uh, all the surrounding nations. And then, of course, the modern warfare, the way that things are going to develop. Uh, so, yeah, Nathan, continue to take us through because this is really a wonderful passage. Well, brother, actually, I got to the end, so uh, there's nothing more to go through. No, I meant. How would you like to wrap? That yeah, up? I was. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, sorry about that. I was referencing to the uh, the 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 rest of the uh, wars, uh, just so that individuals again. Uh, we talked about our first war, uh, and what are the developments of the other ones that maybe people don't have any idea about. Right. Um, well, you got to think about where our subject here is. How do these wars relate to Islam? Okay, so. Here we have the nation of Israel now, as a result of the Psalm 83 war, the aftermath is Israel now is much bigger than it is now. It is now not just the size of New Jersey, but it covers all the lands of Jordan, Mm -hmm. Syria, Lebanon, uh, Egypt. I mean, we're talking about a huge swath of land. Israel has become much, much greater in size and power and is very well on the way of becoming what I believe the Bible prophesies a superpower. So how does that affect Islam? Well, you've just taken the Islamic nations of the Middle East, and if, if Saudi Arabia is right. involved in this, and it looks like, then the very heart of Islam itself, at Mecca, the, the capital of the Islamic religion, is now being controlled by the Israelis. Mm-hmm. So how will that affect Islam? Well, that's where we get to the next prophetic war, and that's the war of Gog and Magog, as found in two whole chapters of the Bible, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Excellent. And Nathan, and that's why we just wanted to, of course, we won't be able to go through the whole chapters of Ezekiel 38 and 39, but that's what the second war relates to again in the future, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now we're about to enter a second war, and this is a natural reaction to what happens as Israel got bigger. Now, there is an ancestral hatred between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Jacob. Right. The, the Ishmaelites, which are the Arabs today, 
They are huge in number, just as God promised Abraham that his children would be like the stars on the sky and the sands on the earth. And there's something like 60-some million Muslims, excuse me, Arabs in the Middle East. Amazing. But they hate the Jewish people. They hate the fact that the Jews got the birthright when they believed as the oldest child they should have the birthright. So we're looking at almost a 4,000-year family feud. And the natural reaction then is that they must get revenge for Allah and destroy Israel. And this is what this war is about. Amazing. So, Nathan, of course, that's war number two. War number three. Okay, well, I mean, let let me just back up a little because I don't want to leave out the details of, of the Gog and Magog War. And the Gog and Magog War involved an outer ring of Islamic nations. Mm, okay. uh, we're talking about, uh, uh, well, it's led by Russia, which isn't an Islamic nation. Right. God puts it into the heart of the leader of Russia, who God designates as God, to want to plunder Israel, Israel's wealth. Well, Israel has gas wealth and riches and, and all like they never had in the past. Russia wants to destroy Israel and plunder it, but these Islamic nations, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, right. Libya, all those um, stand nations like Tajikistan and all, mm-hmm. they're prophesied that they form a coalition to destroy Israel. They want to destroy Israel, and they come down with an army so big that there's no way whatsoever that the Jews are going to destroy this army. But like you said earlier, this when God himself steps in and using all of the natural disasters at his command, earthquakes and fire and sulfur and, and hail and all that, destroys these armies and then sets the fire on the home countries. So now, at the end of this war, you not only have not the nations that surround Israel, but the entire Middle entire. East and Russia is destroyed out of the picture. 